0: Signal is a podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. I'm your host and the Beacon's Editor-in-Chief, Cyril McLeico. Twice a month, we'll use this space to shine a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. We'll talk to guests who will help listeners navigate these perilous political waters by providing insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive routes. Barbara Simmons served as executive director for 30 years of the Peace Center, an educational peace and justice nonprofit organization in Bucks County. She was founding director of Peace Talks Radio, producing radio documentaries from across the globe which aired on NPR, PRI, and many other stations. She also serves on the board of the Nakashima Foundation for Peace. Today, I talked to Barbara about why she memorializes the barbaric bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and her life as a longtime peace activist. Hi, Barbara, welcome to The Signal.
1: Thanks, Cyril, I'm glad to be
0: here. Barbara, you organized an event Monday at Penswood Village in Newtown to commemorate America's use of weapons of mass destruction in Japan. When President Truman ordered the War Department now known as the Department of Defense, to drop an atomic bomb on Hiroshima, August 6, 1945. And then three days later, another one on the city of Nagasaki. As a result, the cities were instantaneously reduced to rubble. And in a flash, tens of thousands of innocent civilians incinerated with a steady stream of thousands more dying in the days that followed due to the lingering effects of their burns and radiation poisoning, exacerbated with the wiped out infrastructure. Can you tell us about the event that you organized and why you believe it's important to memorialize these dark days?
1: For many, well, at least for 35 years, this has been an important and somber event Uh, For for me, when I first learned of band, which was Bucks Alliance for Nuclear Disarmament, and I became a volunteer, it was because I was worried about my kids having to um, grow up in a world just with way too many nuclear weapons. We needed no nuclear weapons at all, as far as I was concerned. But I was particularly moved with the event down in Bristol Borough on the wharf. And we were putting um, the flotillas onto the water. And these flotillas represented people who had uh, been burned from this atomic bomb in Hiroshima Nagasaki who went to the water because it was their first instinct was to go to the water um, because their body was on fire. So the the, the Peace Center at the time, uh, band of the Peace Center, created these flotillas as one portion of this commemoration and so these candles would be lit and would be all along the Delaware River uh, at the Bristol wharf we would always have an ab- habaksha come and speak and a habaksha is a victim of the atomic bombing we would have music and you know growing up in in this traditional school system that we have in our country, you hear history from the victor and you don't hear the history of those who on the other side who lost their lives. So this event was like, it opened up my eyes to this horror. And my father was fought in world war II. He, he was shot down by a Japanese fighter plane. Took you know very badly injured. Spent months in the hospital, and so I really saw this as um, an opportunity to understand more about how do we let others know about the history of this event. So these commemorations became very important to me. Today's event or the Monday's event at Penswood Village is just you know, that continuation of some kind of annual commemoration. About 2001, we uh, we were given a peace poll by the Habaksha, who came here from Japan. And the next year, we were given another peace poll that we gave then to Penswood Village. And Penswood Village is a retirement community in Bucks County. And so that peace poll commemoration from, you know, there. Or very early two thousands was um, an important uh, way to, you know, if you can't be at the river, what else is possible? So we we have this commemoration around the Peace Pole. If it's possible to be outside today, because of the threat of rain, of rain, we held the the event indoors, and so the event was. You know, where where we have music, we have, um, you know, peace music. Uh, we have, uh, we show photos of that Joe O'Donnell, who was a 23-year-old Marine who had been put into Hiroshima just a couple days after the bombing. Uh, he was a combat photographer. The photos that he took and he was sending them back, you know back home uh, to where he was supposed to be sending them but he, he quickly realized that they were not being shown to the public and so he started to do something more subversive which was to develop the film in his helmet and send the 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 film to his mother's home and he never looked at the that film again for 50 years and he really regretted not bringing that to light sooner. but he was just so um, traumatized by what he saw. he just couldn't believe what he was seeing. And so that trauma just lived within him and um you know he went on to be the photographer for the White House for five administrations. You know he he spoke of his regret. he believed the bombing was as morally wrong as the Holocaust. And it's the threat of nuclear war that's still with us today that really prompted him to continue to, um, well, what he did is he put put together a book. And the book is titled Japan, 1945, a U.S. Marine's Photographs from Ground Zero. Uh, Joe O'Donnell is no longer with us, um, but I had the opportunity to interview him he himself had to go on undergo 40 surgeries because he was exposed to the radiation.
0: Um,
1: So I met with about 50 families, 50 habaksha, and some of them had their families with them. They had been children at the time. Um, So today's event was to share one of those stories, to share Joe O'Donnell's work Steve Nolan read a poem uh, about the the uh, Hiroshima bombing.
0: Barbara, when did you when, when did you travel to Hiroshima and Nagasaki to um, interview these survivors?
1: I I wanted to put together a radio uh, an audio documentary about it that was going to be uh, airing on NPR. It was sixty years later. We're now seventy eight years out, so it was um, yeah, it was about. 18 years ago, 15, 15, 16, 17, 18 years ago. But it still really sits with me, you know, to, to see how the city has been rebuilt, to go to the museum. Um, you know, one of the things you can't really capture anymore are these stories from the victims themselves, because most of them are no longer alive. And even even telling one of the stories today, I had to really eliminate a lot of it because it would have made people ill. It would ha- it's so horrendous. You know, part of my my grief over all of this is that if the world knew, if the world had seen how horrific this was within days of this happening, seventy eight years ago. I can't help but believe we would we would have turned against nuclear weapons. You know this is this has been an important commemoration, but again, the narrative that's been created is that we had we had no choice but to drop these bombs, that it's what ended the war, that it's what you know saved American lives. And I question that narrative and every time I question that narrative, it is controversial because people's, parents fought in that war, or if I have anyone who, you know, still in their 90s, still may be around, um, uh, or their spouses, they they just have a hard time hearing that, that it was not necessary to drop this bomb.
0: I, I can't even imagine, you know, given the, um, the environment that we live in today, a teacher kind of bringing up that perspective in the classroom, um, without, facing a, a, a fierce and just rapid backlash by even questioning you know the morality uh of, of the bombings of hiroshima and nagasaki barbara i i, I want to just kind of like step back again and, and, and talk a little bit about band um which you mentioned which was the the bucks alliance for nuclear disarmament um, and this was a group that formed in in the early 80s i I believe it was 1982. It, it was started by a local couple, and at least they, they were part of the group that started, Barbara and Paul Zimmerman. Um,
1: well, actually, it was, several, it was several people that started it. Nan and Bill Strong were another couple, along with Joanne and Lou Woodman, uh, Bob and Helen Lovett, Betsy and Bob Applebaum, uh, Jennifer and Tony Wolf. I mean, this this really was a, an effort that took a village to start. Paul Zimmerman was probably the most vocal. You know, he was their first president. He uh, he was someone who was a a screenwriter in Hollywood, so he had a lot of charisma, and and uh, he held an event here in Newtown Bucks County where I live, just up the street at the Newtown Theater. He held a red carpet event for his movie, uh, The King of Comedy, and that was the first benefit for the Bucks Alliance for Nuclear Disarmament.
0: And that was directed by Martin Scorsese and and, um, uh, starred Robert De Niro and Jerry Lewis. Right. Um, Huge movie. Um, And and, and the proceeds of that, they used that as seed money to start Band, which would become the Peace Center eventually.
1: Yeah, and that's why Paul's name is always uh, associated with it. Um, but but I I I always want to make sure I mention um, there's probably at least uh, fifteen people that were part of that effort.
0: And and so what was it like? You know, you you were a, a young activist at the time. Um, how did how did you get involved with band?
1: I was a parent of a ten year old and a twelve year old. Uh, two daughters and you know I I grew up at a time when duck and cover was the norm and any anybody that knows anything about nuclear weapons, the duck and cover thing is just such a joke um and it's it's just insane to think that somehow our t- going under a desk was going to save us from from nuclear war. but as a as a parent, I, I cared about the environment. I cared about what was happening with how, what are we learning in school? What, you know, what are our kids being taught about history? And it just seemed to me that um, it was lacking in, in real world kinds of issues. So I just had a lot of, a lot of concerns about world peace. And so I went to one of their meetings, and um, and it was at a local school. Uh, and I I continued to go to meetings. I continued to meet really unique people who were all part of this movement. Uh, and I started volunteering my time. And you know, the next thing I know, our the executive director was leaving, and I had become the assistant to the executive director, and I took over. As executive director I felt like if I if I'm not part of the solution I'm part of the problem and so uh, I was working with people like Paul Paul and Bab Zimmerman they you know they very much became all these people became my mentors and what I was what I was learning from them is that the amount of money that we were spending on weaponry was completely out of balance with money that was being spent for things like housing and healthcare and education. And so, you know, I, I, when I looked at the numbers, which are incredible, I was just at the UN the other day and, and the numbers, the, the, the amount of world spending on military, um, it, it's, it dwarfs everything else that any kind of human needs.
0: I mean, the U.S. government was spending, I, I believe it was, it was at least $2 billion developing the bombs, and that was back in the 1940s, right? Right, right. And, and then just, the, you know, that's just one little sliver of the of the military budget, and that's just exponentially grown through the, right. in the decades that's followed.
1: Yeah, and, and all we end up with is, is a more dangerous world because then everyone else feels the need to have nuclear weapons. So, yeah, it, it, so the, these... You know, having an organization like the Bucks Alliance for Nuclear Disarmament at the Peace Center, even albeit it was a small group, people like Dr. Helen Caldicott, for example, who was writing books about this. She was a pediatrician uh, living in New Zealand that was seeing the um, after effects of the atomic bombing, testing in uh, the Bikini Islands. You know, more and more people were understanding and wanted to understand, you know, what is the necessity of these bombs? Why are we doing this? Why aren't we spending money on human needs? And that made sense to me. So I very much became part of that effort. The idea that um, when the Cold War ended, so to speak, and the nuclear weapon arsenal was cut in half, a lot of organizations folded. The Peace Center pivoted its focus to this idea of how do we create a world that no longer wants to go to war our work changed because what we were finding was that people didn't feel the urgency of nuclear war anymore so we started working uh, a lot with schools and helping children um, deal with you know what does it mean to be peaceful what does it mean to deal with conflicts that can escalate into violence. Um, You know, how do you prevent that or how do you intervene with that? Um, So our work pivoted and and we became well-known working in about 300 schools in Bucks County. And I still believe that work needs to be done. And I, I have to say it my work at an Arcadia University's International Peace Program, half of my students are peer were trained as peer mediators when they were in middle school and high school and saw that as a mediator, you really could prevent violent conflict. You know, they've gone on to get their master's degree in international peace. I still very much believe there is that mission has a, a can have great outcomes but we still are spending far too much money on these weaponries and i i you know how do we how do we create a a scenario where people are are now reminded that we are closer than ever on the doomsday clock you know that that is uh by a group of scientists looking at what's happening in the world the bulletin of atomic scientists what's happening in our world, and and it's 90 seconds before midnight, so that is something we need to really be doing something about again, but it doesn't seem to be, I mean, we, I, I would say in the last probably 10 years, people are bombarded with too many things that have gone wrong in our world, and they're getting saturated with um, you know where do, where do you, which direction you go in our our environment is burning up, you know. Put, so a lot of people are putting their energies to in that direction, which is needed. You know, we've got a lot of people putting their energies to fighting the hate that's been happening since uh 2016. Others are are working towards uh, telling the real story of of slavery and the indigenous people's story. So. And then COVID hit. So it's like trying to get people to, to think about nuclear weapons again and the, and the insanity of it. I, having the movie come out about Oppenheimer was was a perfect way to try and get people to realize the absolute horror. And so maybe there is the ability to have another or revitalize the movement, the nuclear disarmament movement.
0: Yes, I mean, that, that, that's the hope. I mean, it, it is encouraging that a, a, mo- a three-hour movie about Oppenheimer is doing so well at, at the theaters. Um, I did want to just mention, you know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, Helen Caldicott, that, that she was actually she actually came to Bucks County, um, mm-hmm. you know, in an event for Band and spoke at the High School, which I, you know, for me, I, I just think it's remarkable um, that you guys were able to bring in someone like that in Bucks, you know i mean what you said the progressive you know peace community w- was small mm-hmm. at the time but what i want to know is just like you know how did you build that community and is there that community now in bucks county or is like you said are people just kind of like pulled a, you know a thousand different ways at once you know f- for example you know, with with what's happening in in different school districts, you know, at school board meetings, you know, I think that's like one important kind of like part of like the progressive community in Bucks County, um, which I've been learning about since I've started writing about Bucks for, you know, in the last three years, Um, they're doing some extraordinary work, um, but I'm not seeing so much of a peace or anti-war kind of movement flourishing and, you know, the last thing I'll say about that is like, that's just not Bucks County, right? That I think that's just, you know, across the nation.
1: Well, when your democracy is being attacked, um, you know, where do you put your energies and what people are finding across the nation? And it, it just really angers me that the far right has decided to make issues out of non-issues and therefore it serves as a distraction. And in that distraction, you lose sight of the bigger picture. Sometimes, right? Like you, you know, you're going. I'm going to all these school board meetings because the extremists are there and they're wreaking havoc. And they're, you know, they've been they've been told to take over the school boards, et cetera. And so, how much can a person fight holding on to their democracy? I think there's been, you know, a big effort to stop book banning, to run for office. Right? We've got we've got members running for school boards that hadn't thought about running for school board members. It's a distraction, but unfortunately it's a it's it's a necessary thing that we have to do. You know, when when we were t- when we were having programs to bring attention to nuclear disarmament issues. Nobody worried about the school board, Sarah. You you trusted the people that were running your school board. It also was a very white movement, a white suburban movement because people of color were dealing with toxic waste in their communities, um, dealing with all kinds of issues of racism in all levels of our society uh, and our institutions you know we we missed what might have been happening for people of color because we were looking at this bigger picture of nuclear disarmament and then the, the you know the anti-choice movement came in to play so people were having to put energies into making sure reproductive freedom was happening making sure people could walk from their car to to the clinic you know to for their to for their reproductive rights to be um, fulfilled. And so the far right has definitely distracted us on many levels. and um, and while they were distracting us uh, on all these different, in all these different areas, they were also taking over our Supreme Court. It's like, where do you put your energy? And I think that, you know, in Bucks County, if there is any school i'll give you an example two and a half weeks ago it'll be three weeks on thursday we we learned that at one of the school districts a person of color had gone to in front of her school board to as a citizen and a parent to say i really think that we all need to read white fear this is a book that can help us understand, you know, why we're so fearful of having a DEI director, etc. cetera. And um, she gave wonderful testimony, but was attacked afterwards. And so now, you know, the NAACP, and I'm part of that executive committee, we're showing up at these meetings because, and I have to say, there must have been at least 30 people that came in support of this one parent. Even though it's a distraction, when I saw the numbers of people showing up, Sarah, it showed me that we do still care about democracy. You know, it's it's vacation time; people didn't have to be there, but they they showed up in support of this this uh, parent. So I think that there's what I see is a lot of activism, but it's activism that is. Um, we we tend to be a species that looks at what's the most important thing right at this moment today, tonight, tomorrow morning, and we act on that. If we can, those of us that are activists, if you can ever get a break, <laughs> um, you know, it's like, oh, thank goodness. You know, I don't have to worry about nuclear disarmament today, you know, because I'm having to go to a school board meeting. So, we are being pulled in a lot of different directions, and it's I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. But I still think, in spite of having to deal with all these um, massive issues that we are facing, that i that I that are distractions, they're important that we address them so that they're not taken over by the far right. I still think when I look at the doomsday clock, when I look at what what Russia, threatened. Every time Russia feels threatened, they threaten with nuclear weapons. And look how many nations have nuclear weapons now. And so, you know, I do still feel an enormous responsibility and obligation to bring it, to call attention to it, to continue to do whatever I can to show people the stories of Hiroshima. Because if if we can remember, much like the Holocaust we we can we can still be saying, you know, never again, never again,
0: sure. I mean the 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 russia war Russian invasion of Ukraine is what has kind of like pushed the doomsday clock up. You know, one question that I've kind of like grappled with is,, um, you know, how do you be a peace activist? How do you maintain your kind of like principles of peace while rejecting, like, russia's invasion of ukraine and wanting to kind of like you know assist the ukrainian people and kind of like help them you know repel uh russian military forces i mean i don't i don't mean to stick you with like such a weighty question but do you have an answer to that because i can't you know personally i've i've been having a hard time kind of like you know figuring out a clear position you know a position of peace that rejects the Russian invasion. And I think, you know, maybe when it's like the US like invading another country like Iraq, it's a little clear cut mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and easier to say, like pull the troops out, right? Right, um, right. What, what do you think is the kind of like, you know, the answer to that kind of dilemma?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a weighty question um, and it deserves a really thoughtful uh, answer you know, when you watch in horror as as a, as a place like Russia invades a country like that, you know, my regret is that, that they're not a part of NATO, that uh, Ukraine is not a part of NATO. And then, but then the answer is, well, if it was a part of NATO, then we would be in World War III. And I'm not so sure about that. I, I'm constantly talking to different people um, my my latest conversation was with Dr Jenny beer who um she's a a mediator and she went with Japan uh she went with me to Japan she was my translator she speaks fluent Japanese very much a peace activist and her her brother is a peace activist and and works in DC as as a brokering peace deals and peace treaties. And we spoke about this on Friday night, um, because I asked her this very question. She said, you know, it's this, this is a really tough one. Like, what would happen if we asked Russia to be part of NATO? Would they feel less threatened, for example? Or what would happen if we could, uh, all the Russian soldiers that are now in Ukraine fighting, what if we could give them free passage? You know, we don't usually turn to nonviolence for many of these horrendous wars that are going on around the world, whether it's, you know, Sudan or Haiti or, um, you know, Rwanda. You know, we want to believe and I want to believe that the United Nations, the blue helmets could show up and stop what's happening and creativity (laughs) should take over. I want answers, you know, I want to know what it is that we can do to support the Ukrainian people and not support war, because, you know, that is not where my, you know, people always say, well, you know, war is the last option. I can't help but think that there's there's got to be 99 other options before we we fire a bullet but it takes some of the best minds like the, the United States Institute for Peace or the Institute for Multitrack Diplomacy. Peacemaking takes a long time. It takes a lot longer than, than what a bomb could do, what a landmine could do. When these kinds of things are in the making, there's no money for for places like the United States Institute for Peace to go in. I think they've got like a, a budget of $8 million, it can't compete with the the budgets for um, going to war. I don't think our generals ever want war because they've been through war. The, the type of diplomacy I want to see does take a very long time because it's, it is about um, pu- pulling together all aspects of a society to work through the conflict. But then you've got you know Putin is is a complete fascist. Uh, he he's not one that's going to be for dialogue and he wants power. You know, Stalin is his hero. And so we kind of have to it seems hard for us to sit by and watch all this happen and just sell sell them, you know the the weapons they need.
0: Well, I think part of the problem is that, you know, the the media doesn't interrogate the possibilities of nonviolent conflict resolution. It doesn't platform nonviolent or peace voices um, within these discussions, I'd say largely, especially the mainstream media. And even it reluctantly covers, you know, the true carnage of war. And that dates back to Hiroshima and Nagasaki when there was, you know, there was, Heavy government censorship, of course, but a lot of the media outlets kind of like went along with it, and and, and that's something, you know, we've seen in present day as well. Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, what happened in in the Iraq War, um, you know, never mind the the torture that our government, you know, did um and and the and the reporting and even if you're you know looking at like the bucks county courier times or you know even even the philadelphia Inquiry, which i like and I, I think it's a useful paper like you're not seeing re- anything about hiroshima and nagasaki and that's something like you said that we just need we need to be reminded of this like this is what we are capable of of doing because we did it and if we do it again that might be the you know end of the world as we know it at the very least
1: well you know i i I want in talking about the media i'm i've always been really impressed that the beacon um and the signal you know you do this without very much money um and most media outlets can't operate like that and so back 20 years ago we stopped sending reporters out internationally because of the cost and the cause that any money went toward twenty four seven reporting. Um, and so politics is the cheapest thing you can possibly cover. There's so much news that we don't get. That's the one thing I want to say. But the second thing I want to say is that if I even look at my local school, any of any of the districts I've worked in, there's not a lot of money put towards peace programs, Cheryl. very, very little money. And if, if they get little money at all, it's from a grant that the Peace Center wrote or that they wrote. And so we've never put emphasis on peacemaking, peace building, understanding how to deal with conflicts. We just don't invest in it in our society and in most places around the world. And so I'm not surprised by what we have. And, you know, it, no matter where I go, if, if I'm if I'm going into a business and they've got a conflict at a business um, that they might they might say, well, what's it going to take? Write me a proposal to end this conflict. There might be a need for to be with the, the business for 12 hours. And they say, no, I need you to deal with this conflict in two hours. You know, that's all we have time for. And so if we understand that more money must be put into this and it's going to take longer, peace building takes longer uh, in the beginning. But once you've got it established, um, it, it automatically helps with those conflicts as they, as they come into being because we're always surrounded by conflict. It's always going to be there. We just don't have the tools uh, to deal with it. And so I've always seen it as, you know, we we have a hammer for the nail, but we have all these other other conflicts and all we are sitting here with is that hammer.
0: And, and, and finally, uh, to wrap up the conversation, Barbara, it, you know, if someone in Bucks County wanted to get involved in peace work, where do you suggest they turn to?
1: I, I would suggest there's there's uh, the coalition, uh, Princeton Coalition for Peace Action. Um, there's the Peace Center. Most community, I know there's a National Peace Action as well. Um, but I would I would be looking at some of the Quaker organizations. Usually Quaker organizations and even uh, places of faith will have a peace and social justice committee. Get involved with whoever is closest to you. Take the time to read about Hiroshima and Nagasaki, just for your own historical um, memory. These stories need to be read about, heard about, told, so that we we are in a place where we can be part of that memory for the younger generation, saying, "You know, this is why we're we're doing this program so that you can know." what happened and what we need to prevent because we need to be supplying the next group of peacemakers, uh, youth with peacemaking tools.
0: And and we'll leave a list of um, books and resources for listeners in the show notes as well. Um, Barbara, thank you so much for coming on the program today and, and, and thank you for your decades of peace work that you've been and continue to undertake.
1: Well, thanks so much for that recognition, Cyril, and thanks for your good work, too. Take care.
0: Thank you, Barbara. This has been The Signal, a podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. I'm Cyril McElago, Editor-in-Chief and host. For more progressive news, analysis, and opinion from Bucks County and beyond, go to www.buckscountybeacon.com. The Signal is produced by Kevin Mahoney of Radio Chicken Media. Intro-outro music by Moff et Tula featuring Cartas a Felice, used with permission.